Hello and welcome to What the Fintech, the podcast from the team behind Fintech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. I'm Alex Pugh, I'm the reporter at Fintech Futures, and joining me for this episode is Nika Kurdiani, Deputy CEO at Space Bank. We'll be talking digitalization and banking, regulatory challenges for banking upstarts, as well as the opportunities, and people's evolving banking behaviors and needs. Welcome to the show, Nika. Would you like to introduce yourself, talk about your role at Space Bank and the sort of work that you're doing there? Absolutely. Hi, Alex, and thanks for having me on this podcast. Actually, I represent uh, TBC Group, which is uh, Georgia's biggest banking group listed in London, where I am deputy CEO, group deputy CEO. However, in Space Bank, in the Space International, as we call it, I am the CEO of the platform. And actually, this is a digital banking platform which already uh, runs two banking operations, neobanks, in two countries, one Georgia, another in Uzbekistan. And altogether, we have approximately 3 million registered users, and this all in approximately five years, a bit less than five years. Awesome. Thanks, Nika. So first up is our news and numbers segment. These are our news stories with interesting numbers in them that we found for us to discuss. Both of our stories sort of look at the ways in which Legacy banks are grappling with changing banking behaviors among the population and the twin effects of COVID and digitalization. My story is more banking hubs and pods earmarked for UK as branch closures continue. So it seems like every week or every month we cover the fact that branches are closing in the UK. More and more people are banking online and also whole effect of the pandemic has accelerated this digitalization and this move to online. In this story, nine banking hubs and six deposit services have been recommended by Link to protect access to cash in the UK. The banking hubs are being targeted in areas where access to banking services has dwindled thanks to ongoing high street bank branch closures. Additionally, Barclays is closing a further 15 branches across England and Wales, but it's also trying new ways to reach people on the high street. So they've introduced banking pods in retail areas, which are semi-permanent structures. They also have electric vehicle banking vans added to its existing fleet of 10. This is something that is obviously going on in the UK. Is this something you're familiar with? Is this a development that you are aware of and that is something that is affecting your operations at all? Fortunately enough, we don't have one single branch because we are fully digital. So it's we're mobile based and that's why, I mean, we don't have to close anything and we don't have to open anything. I mean, we are 24-7 available for the customers from their mobile phone, from wherever in the world. However, in our region, of course, this is a topic also but I would call the trend in our region more a optimization of the branching network rather than a closure, because basically still the banking penetration is not high. People uh, trust-wise would trust personal relationship in the branch. So I think uh, these trends, of course, are having an impact and uh, rise more discussions in our part of the world. However, not that acutely, I would say, like, like it's in UK or elsewhere in Europe. So in my opinion, this will come but uh, rather later than sooner, yeah. So yeah, Space Bank, obviously, as you say, digital only, they are already ahead of the curve. Obviously, a lot of the banking giants in the UK are trying to catch up with you, essentially. 
You want to talk about your story, JP Morgan, Waterloo Planning Digital Bank offering. Yeah, I was surprised, to be honest, because JP Morgan is a big name in the world, especially in the banking world. And JP Morgan had many different initiatives, but now seeing the announcement of JP Morgan reportedly planning to open German digital banking offerings, this was something significant. And then I was looking through the article and there is another very surprising fact, at least to me, that Actually, Chase already has operations in UK and they have already more than a million customers in their digital bank and 10 billion in deposits, which is massive, even for UK. So this tells me an insight, actually. This is a second wave so for these high street banks, basically, to do digitalization and try to launch or set up their neo-banking operations. I remember JP Morgan's Fin then Goldman Sachs' Marcus, and then many other big names having their neurobanking startups back like six, seven, eight years ago. Then there was a slowdown. This is at least what I felt and saw. And now we see them coming back. And launching in Germany is a big story because number 26 is from Germany. And there are many other players there already. ING Direct was there for many years, even before number 26. So... Basically, I think uh, it's a very good trend. And one more time, I think it goes in line with what you said in your news story, right? Yes. I mean, the UK, like Germany, it's got a very dynamic banking, digital banking sector. I think the populations in both countries are very open to online banking, mobile banking, digital banking. So good place to start, certainly. I think they have plans to move into other parts of Europe as well. So, yeah. It's interesting development. Cool. Let's let's go to our interview star section. So Space Bank is Georgia's first fully digital bank. How significant is that, particularly as it pertains to financial inclusion in the country? I would step back a bit and tell the story of how Space Bank came about and then move to the question. Basically, TBC Group is a banking group which has TBC Bank in Georgia. There are many other subsidiaries too, but let's for a sec concentrate on the bank, which has like around 40% market share in Georgia in retail and other segments. And back in 2017-18, we had a thought when we saw all the names coming up, Monzo, Revolut, Tandem, Number 26, all these big names, that actually, why should not we try to do something by ourselves, totally separately from TBC Bank's operation in Georgia, and to an extent compete also with TBC Bank in Georgia, if this would be possible, because we clearly understood that sooner or later, there will be other digital players coming in, and we actually saw an announcement by Revolut like two or three months ago, in Tbilisi, Georgia, that they are opening Revolut up for Georgian market. We are still waiting. There is a waiting list on the website, but this was exactly the trend back then when we were thinking about launching Spacebank. Then when we launched Spacebank, I mean, it had a very good uptake. We registered, I don't remember what exactly number, but several hundred thousand customers in the first one and a half years. And then it was growing gradually. However, very soon we understood that the space banking platform can be actually used for TBC Bank's further expansion in the region and globally. And actually we launched the second market space bank launched was Uzbekistan, which is a Central Asian country with a population of 36 million people. 
And now the neobank launched in Georgia is operating in two countries, basically, in Georgia and Uzbekistan, and having all these uh, registered numbers, which I mentioned before. So uh, this is the story. Inclusion, all, all the region, basically, is all about inclusion. Uh, Georgia has high numbers of penetration, banking and financial services penetration, but Uzbekistan, much less. And definitely it gives a huge opportunity to impact banking product penetration and financial inclusion altogether. So I think we are very well placed to have this impact because the important thing is the mobile phone and smartphone penetration in the region is very high. Internet penetration, especially data internet penetration, is very high. And this is actually the channel we are using, right, for expansion, mobile phones and applications. So... Uh, and gives us a big hope. If you take Uzbekistan, uh, the average age in the country is uh, 27 to 29 years, which means that it's a very young country growing every year with half a million approximately and gives us a massive opportunity of young people who are digitally savvy to offer our services. You, detail, you talked about how Spaceman came into being. Thank you. Um, was there in either Georgia or Uzbekistan any government or regulatory encouragement or did they make life easier for you to set up or or, or was it conversely fairly difficult? Uh, I mean, uh, there were gradual changes. For instance, one of the biggest barriers always for digital banks is onboarding of the customers, you know. Is it possible to onboard somebody remotely or it's impossible? And uh, for instance, in Uzbekistan, initially when we launched, uh, there was a rule that yes, you can onboard the customer, but to activate him in your app, customer has physically to sign a paper and you have to do a four-eye check on the customer. It's really the customer to identify the customer. And uh, we implemented a model of uh, mobile couriers, basically uh, people dressed up in our branding uh, merchandise and riding around the city and delivering payment cards and signing the papers with the customers. And we distributed several hundred thousand cards already. But last year, the government decided and the regulator decided to change this. And basically, they introduced fully digital onboarding, which enabled us to further scale. Same happened in Georgia, exactly, basically, but several years ago. What's the sort of financial services landscape like in those two countries? Do they have legacy incumbents already established? And is there a, an innovative fintech sector as well in, in either country? Um, two countries are very much uncomparable, even if they are from frontier markets. I mean, in Georgia, there are two big players, both listed in London and very much advanced, but in terms of traditional banking service model with branches, with all the services in the branches. I mean, something you would see maybe in UK from NatWest or Barclays and all these names, basically, Santander. However, in Uzbekistan, 80% of the, these two banks controlled something about 75% of the banking market. Whereas in Uzbekistan, 80% of the banking market is controlled by state-owned, fully state-owned banks. And there we can say that they are, there is huge room for improvement and reaching, you know, at least the level of retail and, and the corporate banking, which we are used, so to say, in more developed countries. However, there was another very interesting point. When we entered here, we understood that mobile phone penetration was high, that payment card penetration was very high, and accordingly, payment fintech apps were present on the market and they were massive. So we have on the market several payment apps. One of them actually belongs to TBC Group 2 called PayMe. 
For instance, PayMe has around 8 million registered users and PayMe has several competitors and altogether we are reaching 20, 25 million population who have our apps. So even if the banking market was not that developed, the payment market was super developed and frequently there are features which are not present in Western markets. For instance, open banking here was implemented back in 2013, whereas it is just getting its in our markets, right? And um, so you mentioned that um, in Uzbekistan. Um, this is this was about Uzbekistan, the last one, but in Georgia it's a different story. Yeah, and um, the state-owned banks in Uzbekistan. Are they collaborating with fintechs and things like that? Or are Absolutely. They... Yeah. Yeah. Can they you are. give some examples of that? Yeah. For instance, I mean, in Uzbekistan, there are two payment processing hubs, uh, which actually issue their own payment cards. I mean, they have two local brands. It is neither Visa nor MasterCard, but it is absolutely comparable to Visa and MasterCard, but they are local. So they work on in Uzbekistan. All the banks are on these two payment platforms. And then these payment platforms enable open data exchange. Now, if not all the banks were connected to these payment platforms, then this data exchange would not be possible. So then these payment platforms enable API integrations for fintechs and payment apps. And this is how it works. So basically, the fintechs are connected to the payment platforms and the payment platforms in turn are connected to the banking players. And this whole ecosystem is very much orchestrated by the central bank and the regulator and by the whole banking system because everybody sees the value in this. You know, the customer of one bank can link the card, the payment card, to the mobile banking app of any other bank or to the payment app of any fintech. And then the accounts can be initiated from that app. You can see your balances, your PFM, basically, and whatsoever. I mean, it's fully open. That's great. I mean, to everyone, it's, it's a, a collaborative atmosphere rather than combative. That's great. Yeah, yeah I mean, absolutely. Ultimately, the end user benefits from that as yeah. well. Yeah. So you obviously launched in two countries. What plans do you have for further international expansion? As we are listed in London, we have frequent interactions with our investor forum. For instance, we held our capital market, annual capital markets day in Samarkand, Uzbekistan in November. And one of the questions from the investors was the same, asking what is next? What is the next country? And when is, when is the next country? And of course, identifying the next country is a process. It will take some time. But when we think towards 2025, basically, we will be in a good position to do the next move, which is in one and a half years, approximately. By then, we will be well established in already in two countries, in Georgia and Uzbekistan, and the next one will be coming up towards 2025. This is our anticipation, so to say. Cool. Have you got a country in mind? or We are now in, in the analysis. It's not an easy job because, I mean, our region is characterized by, by the fact that we are all somehow coming from post-Soviet space, right? So somehow culturally and economically and logistically, we are still keeping this proximity to each other. So when analyzing, we have a question, what is the next country in terms of the proximity? Are we staying in the same region or we are leaving the region and maybe going towards totally new type of countries? Would it be Europe or Eastern Europe or Far East Asia, Africa? I don't know. So it's a big decision and that's why we are now properly spending time on it to really understand how the next move should look like. 
Great. Can you tell us about the development of the technology behind SpaceBank? How was it developed and deployed? How big is your team? What are the benefits to operations of a digital-only bank? Yeah, we had the challenge to launch the startup, corporate startup, where initially space team was 20 people, even less. And slowly it grew. Now, at this point, it is around 250, more than 250, actually. And we think that by the end of this year, it will hit around 300 people. But we do not want to grow it more because we see that it can be kept efficient in terms of scaling. Now, in terms of technology, you know, everything was written in-house in terms of the products and modules and the core, so to say. However, certain things were, of course, taken from different providers. For instance, the lending machine and the deposit machine is based on a very well-known, they're called Mambu, cloud-based provider called Mambu. And then we have, for instance, CRM we are using from Salesforce, you know, these kind of things. Things which are non-core to us are, of course, used as a service from other providers. Things which are core are, are, are written by us. And then, you know, I mean, now we reached a state where we are re revisiting the architecture. We are revisiting the whole thing because we grew massively and certain things which were not visible in the beginning, uh, life cycle wise, I mean, are visible now and we have to improve upon them. So I think we are very much comparable with all the other startups because we, of course, exchange experience and information with others. and. Everybody was going more or less to the same cycle. For instance, initially, you would be not putting so much attention on architecture because you put too much attention on time to market. And then with time, you understand that architecture may be becoming a barrier. So you are more shifting to proper architectural thinking and this kind of stuff. So this is where we are. And yeah, I'm out of 250 people or a bit more than 250 people, I can say that 80% of the staff is around technology and the remainder is other supporting functions. So looking forward, what sort of what trends domestically, internationally, do you think that Space Bank will be confronting with, uh, confronting or um, capitalizing on this year? And also what new products and services do you have in the pipeline? Trend-wise, I think basically, uh, and it's not only Space Bank, but it's generally, I think, many other digital players. The digital trends, and as you initially also mentioned, pandemic helped to unlock the potential of digital for retail customers. I mean, there were still many customers which were using maybe digital services in one use case, but other use cases would not be used on digital. And now, I mean, pandemic, almost every use case in daily life moves to digital. Would it be ordering food? Would it be ordering any type of delivery? Even sending uh, something from your home to your mom in another apartment, you know, we would use taxi services to deliver and this kind of stuff. So I think that now we have a trend where digitally there are huge databases of customers using certain use cases, certain digital services, and everybody is starting to understand that basically they can be platforms and they do not have to call themselves a bank, a service provider, a this, a that. You can be a food delivery business digitally and then suddenly you can also offer payment solution. And this payment solution is also yours and integrate this way. 
And we see this happening everywhere. I mean, if you have super apps, right? I don't want to use the word super app because it is becoming too much a buzzword. If you have many customers, multi-million customer base, then whatever you decide strategically can be fit into your application, your digital interface, the customers, and it is done well, and it is of interest for the customer, the customers will take it. And we have many examples. I mean, take, I mean, the biggest, one of the biggest ones in the world, probably slowly in the last 10 years, we saw Apple moving into financial services also, right? They have the card, they have the loan, take Amazon, right? On their platform, you can do BNPO, right? And so on and so on. So basically what I'm trying to say is that banking services should think about offering maybe through their digital channels, other services too, so that they would think in terms of platforms, rather than staying only platform, only banking services and then getting competition from other platforms, you know, and, and customers being dragged away. This is, I mean, for instance, in Kazakhstan, this is another central Asian country. I mean, there is a bank, which was a bank, and now it is the biggest marketplace in the region, marketplace like Amazon. It's called Caspi.kz, and uh, it's massive uh, in terms of marketplace experience. But in reality, it was a bank 10 years ago, and it is still a bank which has its own biggest marketplace. And who would think that the bank would become a marketplace? But we see this trend happening everywhere. So this is what I think will be a challenge also for Space Bank going forward. So becoming more of a platform. Yes. Yeah, cool. All right, let's move on to FinTech Jail. This is where we ask for an overhyped, overused industry term, buzzword or trend that our guest has seen or heard enough of and wants to get shot of. Yeah. Alternatively, it can be a buzzword or phrase that the guest wishes to spring from jail. But in this instance, Nika is going to argue for the jailing of Fidgetal, a portmanteau that gets its backup. Do you want to tell us why this particular word deserves to be locked away? I think uh, because people in our, in firstly, there, is, there are two types of minds, right? One is more traditional, going for uh, physical infrastructure and physical experiences, still branch-based. Others are very much into digital. And then we have the third one coming up, which is digital. And I think these all structurings and this all somehow splits of experiences is just wrong. Because, I mean, the, nobody said that digital doesn't mean offline experience. I mean, why? I mean, basically, just think that it's, it's all about how the customer prefers certain things. And if the customer prefers doing something offline, then this is how we do, you know? And uh, if there are cases which the customer prefers to be done online, then you go digital. So I'm personally very much against having this ways of thinking that you are either digital or you are offline, physical, and then third came up, which is digital. I mean, I, I think this differentiation is, is like just because of the fact that some people would not understand customer needs properly and would not profile the customers properly and would not understand the use cases properly. So I think every use case in digital may have a physical ending. Last miles are always physical because we are not yet all of us living in meta, right? We are, we are still in physical environment. So even food delivery has a last mile of physical environment, which is a taxi driver delivering or whoever, delivering courier, delivering food to you. And if in the very last moment he screws up the experience, then the whole experience is screwed up. You wouldn't say in the very last moment that how good was my application experience, but you know, the last thing was about the end, you would say ordering through the term was a disaster. So I think it's all about proper understanding of the journey and not using these expensive words like 
physical, digital, or digital, and so on. Because mm, it's not a word or a term that the consumer or user would be familiar with or even Absolutely. Um, what do you use it? Some may ever say digital? No. <laughs> so right. Yeah, exactly. And just, yeah, I guess by segmenting that journey with, by creating different categories and different words, it actually betrays a sense that people move seamlessly between physical and digital. They're all both active at the same time and they work together. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you, Nika, for joining me. Before we sign off, do you have any socials or websites you'd like to plug? Uh, Space Bank, but Space Bank is only in Georgian and Russian slash Uzbek. We may have listeners in those countries. Yeah. We can plug in, I can send you over email the links. You can plug in my profile to if it is something you need. Lovely. And you can find me on Twitter at Pew Show and on LinkedIn by searching Alex Pew Journalist. As for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com, on Twitter at Fintech Futures and on LinkedIn. If you like the podcast and our other episodes, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service. We'd also really appreciate it if you could help other listeners find the podcast by writing a review or recommending us to a friend. Thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode. But until then, goodbye.